0: Welcome to Killer Women, with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author, Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Catherine Ryan-Howard. Catherine is an internationally bestselling crime writer from Cork, Ireland. Her novel, 56 Days, was named a Best Thriller of 2021 by the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Irish Times, was her second Irish number one bestseller and won Crime Novel of the Year at the Irish Book Awards. Her previous work has been shortlisted for the Edgar Award for Best Novel and the CWA's John Creasy New Blood Award, and Ian Fleming Steel Daggers. And she's been shortlisted for the Irish Crime Novel of the Year multiple times. Her work has been published in 19 languages, and a number of her novels have been optioned for screen. She lives in Dublin. Welcome, Catherine.
1: Thank you so much. That was a lot, I know, to read out, but <laughs> <laughs> it sounds well, really good when you put it all together. But it, it took does so it's, many years.
0: <laughs> well, it's too so, I mean, it's very, very impressive. And only Catherine knows that it took me two tries to do that. We had to start over. It feels like a Monday here, but um, it is not Monday. So I actually um, well, have
1: a very Monday feeling today as well. So don't worry. don't okay. worry. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm not alone. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So welcome Catherine. It's great to have you. I devoured the trap and actually I got a chance to listen to it, um, oh. which was really, really fun. The voice of the gentleman is super creepy. Um, I'll I'll leave it at that. If you're somebody who likes to listen to audiobooks, the voices in this one are really, really well done. So tell our listeners about The Trap.
1: So The Trap is essentially about Lucy, whose sister Nikki went missing about a year ago when the novel begins. And she is Stuck. You know, the official investigation is going nowhere. It feels like the media isn't really paying attention to her sister um, and paying more attention to the other women who have gone missing. And she's just reached a place where she's absolutely desperate. And so she kind of decides to take matters into her own hands. And essentially, the novel is asking the question how far would you go if you just had to know? So Lucy is in a place where the obsession with finding out what has happened has just overtaken the grief. And she's so desperate for answers, she's willing to play bait for the man who took her sister, um, just because she has to know what happened.
0: Yes, and it's a, it's interesting. It's a very compelling premise. I, I want to sort of dig into sort of the way the different ways in which people respond to this kind of grief, because the not knowing can really literally be crazy making, right? I mean, I think that's that's what the story is about, and it's a, it feels very genuine and authentic to me. But before we get there, I wanna see if you could tell us, do you know, like, you know, what was the inspiration for the story? Did you, do you Can you remember sort of where the seed started?
1: Usually for me, ideas, and like I've heard this from other writers, they kind of come from two separate places and like meet in the middle. And for me, one place was the novella, The Vanishing by Tim Krabbe which is about similar themes, a man's wife goes missing, And even though I think like it's about five years later, the love for her is is kind of dwindled because they didn't get on that well, but the obsession with finding out what happened has only gotten worse. And he plays a game with himself in which he says, I'm given two choices. She's dead and I find out every detail or she's alive and well and happy and I can never know I choose she's dead because he's just that desperate to find out. And that, that little passage struck me like so hard when i was reading it and it's always stayed with me and then here in ireland in the 1990s we had what we call the vanishing triangle um where essentially eight women over a period of five years disappeared without trace we're here 30 years later and we still have no idea what happened to them which is incredible in a country the size of ireland um and you know i can't stress how like unusual this was like at the time this was a country where you know, if you had one murder in the news a year, it would be, it would be big, it would be unusual. So I was a teenager during the 90s. So when I just when I started paying attention to the news, the news was that women were missing. And I just can't believe we're here all these years later with no answers. I don't know how their families get through, like even a day, let alone decades and so I think when it came to the trap those two things the vanishing and the vanishing triangle sort of came together all my ideas are usually sparked by something in a real case or in real life and then I kind of take it um, and I sort of use fiction to answer questions that like real life just cannot or will not.
0: Right, right. I, I think that, yeah, you work through your own um, your own sort of questions and, and, and it's fear, right? I think sometimes we write yeah. about the things that, that scare us the most. Well, in your author's note at the back of the book, you talk about the sort of pivotal thing that happened when you were a kid that kind of led you down this road. So can you share that with us? Cause I thought it was such a great story and I can't picture this machine. So I'm hoping you can, you can <laughs> oh really help. Out-
1: <laughs> okay. So uh, I mean, I don't even know if you imagine sort of a carry on case. Okay. And it was about, in my imagination, it was that big. It was, it weighed 30 pounds. I know that for a fact, this, this VHS machine and it was silver, it was JVC was the maker and you, there was top loading. So you, a little thing flipped up and you put the VHS in. And the buttons were like piano keys sticking out the front so it was yeah. this monstrosity like I don't even know you know wh- where it came from or, or how they ever made them that way but yeah so I had carte blanche at the local video rental store I should point out I was about 10 at the time this is all happening 10 or 11 <sighs> mm. and after working my way through the children's section and um, it was a very small shop and I watched a lot of videos so it happened very quickly that I ran out of, of options and I moved to the other side of the store which had true life for some reason in Ireland in the early 90s that meant all America's made for TV movies about like infamous crime so like the Betty Broderick story and the Diane Downs story and the Menendez brothers and the siege at Waco like you know, and I I just consumed them all. I devoured them, devoured them. That's all I was doing when I should have been watching, like, you know.
0: Shiro Disney. Or yeah. Disney, yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> so, I, so you said that your dad, your,
0: now your dad or your parents bought this machine that was yeah. so massive. And were, were they
1: big movie buffs? Like, what was the... No, like, this is what's so crazy. Like, I actually don't remember them watching anything. I really don't, like... It's funny, no one has asked me that question. I don't remember them watching anything. I suspect, you know, they got a deal or like someone suggested. And I suppose the the beauty of it is that you could record television and maybe mm-hmm. that's why, maybe that was the novelty that like, you know, they wanted a VCR machine so they could record stuff they missed. I don't know, because they are not movie books.
0: <laughs> that's definitely, well, maybe they were recording, yeah, the news or something on TV, yeah. but um. But that is funny because you, you talk about it, you know, and I love, I always read, I oftentimes read the author's note first, you know, and sometimes that's a bad idea because there's, there's occasionally a spoiler in there. But <laughs> um, but I always love reading the author's note because I think it gives you some character about the, um, about the author, you know, obviously, which gives sort of a different insight into the book. But yeah. what I love about this is you said this like you described this thing, like you said, it was like a huge machine and also that it was quite expensive. It was like this, the real investment that your, that your parents made and that it was, you know, this monstrosity and that you, like you said, that you were like so, so young. So I, you know, do you suppose that's how, I mean, you seem to still remember all these cases. So clearly they are really imprinted yeah. in your brain. And so are you, po- and you said this, this book was based on a case from the nineties. So, it really is kind of they just come into your into your brain um and is are you do you find yourself scouring the news now for I mean are you always sort of on the lookout for like the next
1: yeah seed? like I mean I'm not I'm not sort of like I'm not scouring the news looking for an idea it's that I am reading all of these stories anyway you know yes. like I love a good kind of long read like give me a nice vanity fair or yes you know vulture article and I'm watching all the documentaries I'm listening to the podcast not a lot of podcasts because I find a lot of them I don't like the style with the way they deal with crime fiction yeah. or with true crime rather. um I think it's a bit like you know some of them are bordering on disrespectful and I I don't like yeah yeah sensational and I don't like speculation I want like hard facts I want ideally to be reading about something that's already been solved so there isn't you know these hours and hours of speculation but then little things jump out at me like in my very first novel Distress Signals um, I had read um, about a woman who had disappeared from a Disney cruise ship and that was a, a tragic story but there was one phrase in the article the International Cruise Victims Organization that set me off Googling because I've never been on a cruise and will never go on one next. (laughs) Not um, now. (laughs) They won't (laughs) let me on, I'd say, anyway, after that book. But, you know, I went Googling and I found out like all this horrendous stuff about maritime law and how essentially, effectively, if you go on a cruise ship, you're vacationing in a country that has no police. Like, because if anything happens, they have to travel to the ship and, and loads. I could talk about maritime law for half an hour, but I won't. Um, and that led me to my first idea for a thriller. So there's always these little things. And, you know, you're, you're kind of solving a mystery for yourself. If there is an unsolved case, um, you can come up with an explanation for it to kind of put your, your mind at ease almost
0: yes yeah I do think that that makes yeah so you're you're done with cruises and 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 no no big yachts for you either it sounds like I and, yeah be... and
1: no um no Airbnb my third novel was about things going on in Airbnb. basically I'm just trying to ruin summer vacations for everyone so my <laughs> vacation will be cheaper that's right no <laughs>
0: one will want to go anywhere you're like I'm I have choice of anything I want to do so yeah driving the prices
1: down over here that's what's good
0: that's right one book at a time. Um I love that. Well, I and I was telling you before we got on the air that I I just had gone to I've just been in Ireland for the first time and what an incredible city, I mean country, but what you mentioned is really true. Like in America, of course, as we all well know well too too well, there's, you know, murders are a dime a dozen daily. But your crime rates are so low that all of the things that have happened over there are really and especially the fact that they're unsolved. That's super yeah that's very very hard um
1: yeah and it continues to be a mystery why there are so many irish crime fiction writers when our crime rate is indeed so low but (laughs) well maybe it's
0: right maybe you get to you just hear a little bit of what's going on in other countries and think well i can borrow a little of that it's nice to read a crime novel when you're in ireland because you think the chances of this happening to me are pretty darn low exactly which is is lovely you're like i'm pretty safe so i could just write about the most horrific crimes ever that's
1: true i never thought of it that way but that is so true yeah you're like this is this is fine this probably won't happen to me chances that's right it's
0: almost a fantasy novel in ireland i love that um thank god yeah (laughs) so i know thank god uh if only i know i wish and actually that's what my daughter was saying like i'm gonna live in ireland and i was like I'm all for that because it seems like you'll yeah. be a lot safer than in America. Um, but one of the things we sort of just alluded to at the very beginning is the ways in which people deal with, I mean, cause so one of the things about this book is that it does touch on all the, the families of all the victims, you know, there, are, and there are very different ways, obviously that people deal with these kinds of crimes. I mean, in fact, in, in um, Nikki, the missing Nikki's boyfriend, Chris continues to live in the house where they were living um, that was, that was Nikki and, and Lucy's parents' house, because he too is sort of stuck, right? I mean, she's gone and he is stuck. And I think that was really, really well done the way some of the the parents really just want to, you know, see every newspaper, talk to everybody and others just want to mm-hmm. sort of, especially as time goes on, right? Um, yeah. Did you...
1: I mean, it... yeah, go ahead. Go
0: ahead. No, no, no you, I'm, I want to hear your thoughts on that.
1: It, it's just always fascinated me, like what happens? Because, you know, I used to read a lot of um thrillers and crime novels about missing people. And you'd have like a prologue where the person goes missing and then it would skip to like years later or months later. And I always wondered like, you know, stay with it. Like, tell me what, what happens in the immediate aftermath. And that was something actually, um you know, in Distress Signals, my first novel as well, I wondered like at what point do you go to the supermarket? At what point yeah. do you say, well, I have to pay my bills? Like life goes on, but with this incredible trauma that, you know, I don't even know how in real life people deal with. And so mm. the speaking of the boyfriend still living in the house, like what if he leaves and she right. comes back, like What if she comes back and he's moved on, but you know, they don't, they just don't know. And that's why I find this such a a fascinating subject, like emotionally, because you are literally stuck. You are in a limbo for all, you know, the person is still alive. They might come back, you know, deep down, you probably know the chances of that are low, but you don't know for sure. So at what point without closure can you say, Well, this is in the past now, and we're all moving on. And like one of my favorite scenes in the novel is where all the families meet. Yes. Because um, very powerful. Yeah, I was thinking of, and bear with me here, but I was thinking of the Stephen King movie *The Mist*, which is about. Yeah, I can tell by your face. You're like, where is she going with this? But hang on, I, I, I promise, I'll, I'll get there. Uh, Uh, It's about an. (laughs) It's about an alien invasion, but. The point of that movie is no matter what happens, your biggest problem will be other people. Your biggest problem will be your neighbors and whatever else because people are the worst. And so I hate this idea that even if everyone is joined by this trauma, like they're all lovely and they're all nice and they're all cooperating. You only have to read about something like the 9-11 memorial, um, you know, the... The design of that and the the agreement of what that would be like to see what happens with these families and to see the discord that arises because you don't change who you are just because there's been some trauma so there's like you know one of the families as you said just wants to you know they just can't handle it and they just want right. to retreat and someone else is very media friendly yes. and her daughter's image is very media friendly right. and she's right. out there taking advantage of that not because she's a bad person but she doesn't really care about the other families because listen, she's dealing, she's dealing with the disappearance of her own daughter. Like that's enough for her. So I just wanted things to be realistic.
0: Yeah. I wanted
1: there to be a bit of realism about it. Yeah. And that's
0: actually, you bring up a, you, you know, you sort of triggered another thought for me, which is the idea of, you know, that basically how the victim looks really changes how, you know, the world views her worth particularly for women right I think this is really I mean it's probably yeah. true for men too but women go missing so much more that that's where we're, our attention's always pointed and Nikki is a like the picture that um that you know Lucy chooses they want one that's the most recent because it shows her purple hair and so yeah. it is very much not a hugely flattering picture doesn't show her as the sort of buttoned up good girl like the other one who goes you know missing whose mother's you know like you said media friendly and so all of a sudden you have this you know this perfect child who's you know is you know was a great student and an athlete and and like you know all those sort of and so she gets all that attention because of course everyone wants to find her because she seems like and she was younger right I mean she was only 17 so there's that's another factor of course we i mean not that any woman at any age should go missing but i know but th- sudden, this is
1: what happens yeah we do
0: yeah. we like triage our you know our attention because i mean especially for you know where it's happens all the time and that was i thought really interesting too is that lucy has to contend with the fact that her sister deserves to be found and saved but she was not an easy human and she didn't really mm-hmm. have her shit together and and so she deals with the sort of the judgment can you imagine like your, your sister's gone. And on top of that, everybody's yeah. judging who she was.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've seen that like in real cases here where, you know, we say don't speak ill of the dead. So obviously if something happens to someone, you know, you're not going to say she was actually really annoying and she owed me loads of money and she, you know, you're obviously not going to say that, but I think we go over the top in some cases. So like you hear, you will hear victims described as, you know, she lit up every room that she walked into and all this kind of thing. And in isolation, that's not hurting anyone. But if you're talking about a series of missing women and, you know, presumably we we want them all found and some are getting more attention than others, you know, that's difficult. And I was also thinking about like the official pictures of those women, the, the women who went missing in the 90s are burned into my brain. And I think every woman my age in Ireland can recall those photos. And I remember seeing a video of one of the victims, like a very blurry, like old VH, like you know, video camera that her parents took, presumably. And I was shocked because she didn't look anything like I thought she looked like. Because it's like when you meet someone who you're like Twitter friends with or something, you know, and you've only been looking at this one angle of them and then you meet them and you're getting all the angles and they look totally different. So I was kind of thinking about that as well, how, you know, we have this one picture that's been chosen purely because that's what she looked like when she went missing. But we have to like imagine a whole life Then that photo has to carry the weight of a whole life and it can't possibly, it can't possibly. So I was thinking about that kind of stuff as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, I mean, really it is about too, that there's, you know, there's also this idea with missing women is, you know, was she drunk? Was she, did she sort of ask for it? Which I think is, it's incendiary to talk about a woman getting abducted and somehow she's at fault in any way yeah. and i think that's yeah. another theme in the book is that you know that some you know that well she and even we get the the point of view of the you know serial killer uh well serial abductor we'll say um yeah. and it's you know and he too is it's this sort of sense of like well she she, look where she put herself like she's clearly you know oh we talk about women who you know are sexually assaultable that she was wearing a short skirt like what like how does that have yeah. any really but of course it totally it absolutely does there's another line I really love in the book um, which is where um, somebody told Lucy to pick a picture that maybe she wasn't super attached to because it becomes can you explain that because I, I you'll do it better yeah. justice than
1: I so I was reading a book written by a man whose son had been murdered and he was talking about when the police came to him and you know they want to release a picture to the press and he's like this is my favorite picture of my son and they said it can't be that one because you will hate this picture you will come to detest this picture so pick one you don't love and i just yeah. thought that was absolutely heartbreaking so I was thinking of that like I, I don't think Lucy like Lucy's situation is different because she actually has very few photos that could even fit the bill but I just thought that was something you know I'm always like looking for the things that we don't typically think of um, in these kinds of situations yes. and I think it's like those little details that just like when I read about things like that they don't leave me and I just think you know to to make to make it as as real as possible because it's not the way you know it is on tv and it's not Mm -hmm. the way it is in the movies and it's not the way it is in, in sort of like older crime novels like I I'm really always pushing for something more realistic even though sometimes readers are like that would never happen and I'm like what you think should happen is based on other people making stuff up Right. So you know, <laughs> yes,
0: I know they're like yeah. it's unrealistic. You're like, well, actually, that's more like yeah. how it really happens. Re- reality is very unrealistic. I know really. yeah. truth is fiction. <laughs> it's true. Um, but I, you know, I, I love that, and I think you do that really well. There's a lot of little, you know, moments where I was like, wow, that is a, le-. and I, you know, like you, I've read thousands of, you know, suspense novels over the years, or maybe a thousand. It seems like a lot, but anyway, a lot of, <laughs> lot of, lot of them. And that was a new, that was a new um, thought for me. And I really, I appreciate that. I think that's lovely how you sort of pull these little um, threads in that, you know, that people that people haven't mentioned before. Like you said, you're sort of looking yeah. for something that's a little fresh. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of your process? Are you, when you cut, when these two vanishings came together and created this idea for you, do you plot it all out? Is there, I'm always curious to know who are plotters yeah. and who are panthers. <laughs>
1: So I'm sort of um this is funny, okay, because like I always said I was a plotter. But then a couple of years ago, I started getting really annoyed with the sort of divide between plotters and panthers. Yes, yes, fair. Yeah. What happens, I find, is if you're doing like an event, like you're at a book festival or something, and you're on stage with a panther who doesn't know they're a panther because they would never dine to to call themselves something like that, but you it's know, they that like,
0: right
1: yeah, they're like, I, I just, you know, follow the story. Like I'm, you know, I, I couldn't plot everything out. It would stifle me. Like oh, blah, blah. I, yeah. And I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but what I realized is that, like, there is no such thing. There's no difference between the two of us. We are all taking a blank page yeah. and making up something to put yeah. on it. And so yeah. some people make up the story by writing a first draft. And some people like me make up the story by opening an Excel spreadsheet and like filling in the major plot points and then that spreadsheet gets more and more dense as the time goes on. And that spreadsheet gets more and more colour coordinated. The yes. closer my deadline is for no reason whatsoever, other than it was. It's a good distraction, right? <laughs> right. Um, but we all have a stage where, like, I just find it really funny the way people talk about plotters as if we're sort of writing by numbers or we're, you know, there's doing nothing, something like that. Yeah, there's no.
0: nothing about this that makes it easier.
1: I no, mean, unfortunately, no. Yes. Right. <laughs>
0: Obviously, if there was an easier way, we would all be doing that, right? I mean, there's yeah. no question. I also love a spreadsheet. I have to say I love a spreadsheet with the points of view in different colors and yeah. the, the plot points, and sort of I keep track of the time. And I'm yeah. I would say I'm a pantser-ish or whatever, but only because I I don't I don't know what the beats will be or the twists until I kind of get there. But that's not like yeah. you said, it's it is different versions of the same thing, but it is interesting yeah. to know. So basically you create. You're going back and forth between the writing and the spreadsheet to kind of fill or or you get one done. That's
1: exactly what I'm doing. I'm I'm going kind of back and forth and I'm filling in. Like usually when I start, I will know what the ending is. Okay. Excuse me. Because I find like it's, I find it impossible to do any sort of like twisting or revealing without knowing what I'm trying to hide, you know? And so with the trap in particular, I absolutely started with the ending and anyone who has read the book will know uh you know that I had to um but what happens is I will have a good idea of the ending I'll know the start because that's what we all do we when we have an idea it's the start we're thinking of and then I also try to have a midpoint so I try to have something in the middle like just to make it easier psychologically I don't have to go like 80 or 100,000 words I only have to go 40,000 or fifty yes, to get yes, to that midpoint. Yes. It's all about sort of it tricking yourself into thinking it, you can do this. Right, right, you know? <laughs>
0: because it's so hard. It's like- And it doesn't
1: get easier. It doesn't get easier. The, the only thing I've learned, like this is my seventh uh, thriller and the only thing that has gotten easier is convincing myself that I can do it. I yeah. still don't find the process any easier. I just find it slightly easier to believe that I will get there. Yes. You know, so yeah, anything that can help us. So I'm like, I'm there, I'm there. Totally.
0: Well, I hate, to, I hate to burst your bubble, but I I interviewed Sandra Brown and she said, she starts every book, she has to look at her bookshelf and be like, okay, Sandra, you've done this a hundred and blah, blah, blah times. You can do it again. And I'm like, oh, that is not encouraging, Sandra. At some point we have to know- I find that strangely comforting. Well, that is exactly, exactly. Well, it is. I mean that's I think that's right. We're all in it. But I do pre- I yeah. totally appreciate um and I love the idea. I mean, I think that's I think that knowing the but it's like you said, it doesn't make it easier. I mean, you're still it's still word by word and you probably still write things that end up having to be yanked and you've gone, you know. Oh, of
1: course. Yeah. I definitely go wrong and usually what I do is I write like I don't know anyone who sends their editor what I send them in the first instance like I stop typing and I send it off I send a really really raw first draft and usually my first draft is like okay this proves the idea is good and also that this is not the way to tell it so my first draft is almost like okay that's not what we're gonna do and interesting yeah that sort of like unlocks for me the way to do it if that makes okay sense. that's i mean yeah. so that's like you know
0: like jillian McAllister. uh there's a lot of people who sort of write the whole book trash it claire mcintosh yeah. talks about this too and then just like starts from a blank page and i'm like
1: what? i, I will say i've heard to jillian literally trashes it i don't i yes. keep it <laughs> yes
0: and then and i will re-
1: be copy and pasting some stuff yes. if i can <laughs>
0: yes. yes but yeah. you are sort of rebuilding it i mean you You start with a, you you know, start with a fresh document and you sort of bring things in as they can be used. And your editor helps you sort of envision how it will work or you feel like you finish that first draft and you're like, okay, now I know how I need to tell it.
1: Well, my editor said to me recently that I'm really good because I send like my own editor's letter in the sense that like, I will send them that first draft Mm -hmm. and then I'll send them a list of like, I know all these things are wrong and I will like lay it all in. And like what I'm looking for is like what I haven't seen. Yes. Um, and then they will, you know, come and they'll point out things that, like I would never have thought of because that's what editing is all about. And yes. you just cannot read your work like a reader. So you nope. need someone else to to sell you. But then I go away. Like in this book, we didn't even have a conversation. I was like, you know, they sent me a document and I was like, OK, I'm good. I'm going to go. And I just went and, and worked away. So I think that like what I will say has really helped me as a writer is at the very beginning before I had written any before I'd finished any novel I went to a workshop with an Australian author who lives in Dublin called Monica McInerney and she writes kind of these sprawling like family sagas like her shortest book is probably 120,000 words Oh my and gosh, she yeah. said uh she talked about trashing 60,000 words and I was mm-hmm. like like yeah like uh, I don't care. Like if I had managed to write, like I was thinking at the time, 60,000 words, I would do anything to save them. And now (laughs) I would totally trash them. Like, I think what has really helped me is like, because I write quite fast, I feel free to ditch things. I feel free to ditch a draft or ditch half a draft or whatever. And therefore I'm never trying to like save what I've already produced. I'm free to to start again and make it as good as it can be. And like everyone works differently and that's what's great about this and why I love listening to like other writers and how they do it and stuff. But that's the way I have to do it. I have discovered. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm an overwriter. So there's 40,000 words I lose out every book. Every book I... (laughs) take us a, a wrong and I'm turn. like
1: I'm trying to like put in extra words to make up my- <laughs> that's, I know I don't know yeah I just finished I'll take of- some of your words uh, yeah, and then a be fine. yeah. <laughs> it's
0: 113,000 words it's way too long whoa, so I'm trying I whoa, know
1: whoa, whoa.
0: yeah I know I, and that was me like trimming it down from like
1: 120 so um yeah, I think that's it- a good problem to have I I'd love to be able to to be in a position where I'm trying to trim instead of like trying to put in another like, I don't know I think up, I'd right?
0: probably pre- I'd probably prefer to have your situation but isn't that the way it works too right far away you hills like, way. yes yeah, exactly yeah. like oh that seems better Oh, uh, yeah yeah no, it's, it's it's like you said it's all the same but in a different you know we're all taking it a little differently yeah. so uh well that is it's really interesting here so do you have like a do you work are you working in your workspace right now do you work from home do you go out do you have a sort of time yeah. of day that works I,
1: I work right here. So I'm at my very pink desk at my looking Ooh. at my pink computer for it's on Instagram. If anyone wants to go look, but it's way too pink for a crime writer, but uh, not changing it. it and makes you I work happy. from home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to lighten the load somehow yes, when you're it, writing such dark things. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. I work from home and I I don't have a routine. Um, my routine is totally dictated by deadlines. So I will start okay. off. Um, with a long period of procrastination and like watching Netflix even though I know I shouldn't and saying you know I'll get started tomorrow I'll get started. and I'm doing all my my graphs and my good intentions and I'm gonna write this per day and that per day right energy. right um and then it builds into a sort of panic and then um <laughs> mm-hmm. I always say that I start work at the exact moment where the fear of um writing something crap is overtaken by the fear of not having enough time to write anything yeah so that's when I get going and then towards the end like I will write more and more so like I'll go from writing maybe like or spending a couple of hours a day writing to like maybe doing a 10 hour day yeah each day for a week like it's all about panic and deadlines for me I yeah. need the deadlines yeah, it's that right. Exactly.
0: I I understand that. It's it's easy to just re- want to rearrange your bookshelf. It seems very important to rearrange everything in the house and the laundry we, and
1: yes, you know, cleaning. The, you can't yeah. possibly work if there's a bit of dust over there. So that's right.
0: That's right. You got to get out the duster and the vacuum. And I'm yeah, uh, yeah. But I use, I usually like to get into drawers that haven't been touched in years. I'm like, well, this this drawer. I need to go through my sweaters right this second. Yeah, so. immediately immediately there's no way I can write this scene until I know if I'm going to keep all these sweaters
1: Um, like what's really funny is you know the writing is going well when the apartment is like an absolute bomb has gone off and so the day after I send my draft in I usually like sleep and then I have my favorite day when I just have the whole day to clean but I'm really cleaning I'm not just avoiding writing Um, and so it's the best of both worlds but the the messier the place is the better the writing is going so as you can see there is no writing happening right
0: now. (laughs) It's very tidy it looks very very tidy. Yeah it's not good it's not good. Speaking speaking then of, of what's next what is next? What are, you, so what are you working
1: on? I'm, I'm in the second draft of the book that presumably will be out next year. I typically publish every year. So it's my first book that won't be set in the States. i oh, sorry, will be set in the States. Like, oh, I'm like, set really? In Ireland. Yeah. Okay. No, it's my first non-Irish set book, but it still involves Irish people. They just happen to be in a place in Florida. And um, it's about a ghostwriter and... I was thinking about uh, O.J. Simpson's ridiculous memoir. Um, if I did it, but I didn't. But if I had, this is what I would have done. But I definitely didn't do it. Wink. So <laughs> that's uh that that was kind of my starting point. Um, so a ghostwriter who's hired to write maybe a murderer's memoir, maybe a murderer. Got yeah. it. I got. Oh, yeah. well, that yeah. sounds
0: amazing. I love that the yeah the O.J. Simpson that
1: was like yeah it, um, it, have you read the memoir because no no I live because so, I was like yeah. 20
0: when all that stuff happened so I was like right well I
1: was like it. 11 but I was still watching it so. yes <laughs> you were
0: well you were we don't know what your parents were doing but you were watching it <laughs> uh no I haven't read it but it sounds like it's a little it, it's
1: really interesting because I, I'm sure you know that like the Goldmans they went to court and they fought for the right, and then they published it so the actual edition that's published has a prologue or a forward by the ghostwriter mm-hmm. um about the experience and it is really really something like it's, it's worth is... I I wouldn't bother reading OJ's book
0: yeah yeah,
1: but but that prologue
0: is fascinating Interesting. i will i'll probably end up buying the book to read the prologue it sounds really or the (laughs) foreword.
1: that sounds really um that's what set me off on this idea really was was the prologue
0: i love that i love that you i love that you pick these just those moments of real stories and and they ask they create a question for you because that's really i think what this is Mm -hmm. is like what would you do or how far would you go or yeah it's curiosity
1: I uh, I think we're all like chasing
0: our curiosity we are yeah and it's it's pretty it's a pretty fun it's a pretty fun gig when the when the panic isn't totally on fire yeah
1: (laughs) it's a fun gig for like the two weeks of the year where the book is out you don't have you're given two weeks to not worry about the next book and you get to do the fun launching and stuff which is the two weeks I'm coming out of now so today's the first day back at my desk and I'm like Oh, I have to actually
0: like write stuff now. I know. I just, I'm just looking at a major revision. So trust me, I'm feeling your pain.
1: That's yeah. That's. Is that why your house looks so clean?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, also you can only see like above here. You're not getting it. Well, what I can see is sparkling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. It's, there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of procrastination and denial happening here too. Plus it's summer. I find it very hard to work in the summer. But every a, year I'm
1: like I'm not going to be writing next summer I'm going to change my schedule I'm going to and every year
0: yeah I never were I know I've I, usually I have a major revision in the middle of the summer this year is a little bit later than the middle of the summer but it's mm. still a major revision in summer and it's not can we just I'm in Montana I should be doing major revisions in the in February when it's like yes you know, I mean freezing. Yeah. What, what else is there even to do in and I mean very little <laughs> if you don't want to be freezing yeah. cold there's very little to do so <laughs> um well that is really exciting Catherine I hope someday you will come to one of our conferences over in the states
1: I have you been to, to a thriller to. fest or something yeah I haven't and like every year when, when something happens like I have major FOMO and I'm like next year I'm gonna go I'm gonna go but like one of the downsides of being in Ireland is that we have such a full like literary calendar of stuff yes you know the idea we don't have to travel to go to anything but I'm determined to you know get to something in the states at some point well
0: we um I have a bunch of friends who are talking about doing bloody Scotland next year oh which is just a little like sort of your neighbor um yeah so that would be fun but yeah there is I mean obviously you guys have it and if I mean it's great I was telling you before we started recording too, that I had spent the day in dub a day by myself in Dublin just going to the bookstores. And I think there were like fifteen bookstores. I mean, some of them are sort of you know little they're like there's some used bookstores and some new bookstores yeah. and some some big bookstores and some little bookstores, but I did make my way. I ended up somehow buying two copies of the same book accidentally. It was very <laughs> <laughs> which clearly anyway, it was all good. but um but it was really it's a what a lovely city. and I'm um. I'm definitely coming back. So maybe I should be asking you which, which uh, you know, Irish crime things we should come well, to. because
1: we, we do have a festival here. It's actually run by my friend, um, Vanessa. And this year it's happening in October called Murder One. So uh-huh. we have like kind of three days of um, events. Uh, at the moment, the festival is being held, held in Dunleary, which is south of the city by the sea, absolutely beautiful. Um, but I'd also recommend Harrogate. You must surely know. I the- did. Yeah. Yeah. We're. I mean, I'm not. I only got over Harrogate about a week ago because it's just it's so much fun. And like, if you were coming over the side of the pond to do something, I would highly recommend that because literally everyone is there. Like, yeah. no, no one goes to any panels because we're too busy. Like, yeah, catching up with. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, that.
0: Yeah, oh, that is right. So I. And I will. I will after visiting I will take any excuse to come back. So, I will put yeah. those on my um I will definitely put those on my calendar. So, um this book is out remind me. I'm I'm terrible with my It's it's, it's out
1: already. It came out on the 3rd from Blackstone.
0: Okay. Okay, well so this book is already available to you and our um our show will be live on August 31st, which means this book's been out almost a month. It's super super fun and you might have seen the very first chapter of it in as a short short story um, in Irish times. I know I read that and was like, you know, I actually did read it as a fully, you know, as a fully, a full piece. But then I was like, wait a minute, this is a whole book now and it's very, very fun. So (laughs) um, go grab this. And if you haven't read, if you haven't read Catherine, you have a lot. I mean, I know 56 days was sort of your, was this blow up book for you, but you you haven't, this is number seven, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And like my personal, personal favorite book of mine is The Nothing Man. And I think, yes. and I'm hearing the same from readers, that The Trap and The Nothing Man are are like similar vibes let's say oh good so, okay yeah. i
0: love that well anyway i devoured this and i have a lot of Catherine How- uh, ryan howard books to get caught up on now um <laughs> just you know since i don't read very much but um i hope i uh, our paths cross in real life one of these days because it was so fun to chat with you Catherine. and congratulations on all your success and if you haven't read um one of Catherine's books you must and we will have a giveaway of this book um on the killer women um facebook page so take a. Keep an eye out for that as well. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun. Really enjoyed it. So much
0: fun. We will see you next time on Killer Women. Have a great day. Bye.